Amen. You can be seated. Good morning. Uh, like for as late in the morning as it is and as big of a crowd as you are, that was pathetic. Good morning. Good morning. Way better. Welcome to church. My name is Gary Anderson. I am the uh, pastor in waiting here at Granny White Midtown. We are so glad that you could be with us this morning. Uh, and it is genuinely a joy for me and a privilege to get to open God's word together. Uh, I want to invite my friend Carly up. She's going to read our text today. Uh, it is Genesis 1, 3 through 25. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. Can't wait to hear more about that. <laughs> and it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called the seas, and God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good and there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. Is that it or one more? Yeah, keep going. Okay. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. 
That's it. Awesome. That was a heavy lift. And the whole sermon is going to be in those last two verses, so it was really important that you got there. That was a pastor joke. Uh, when our kids were little, I have four kids now, when we just had two, well, it doesn't matter how many we had, when our kids were growing up, as they've been growing up, uh, we have not used babysitters a lot. Part of that is because for the first five years that we had children, we had grandparents in town. Part of that is because uh, I'm kind of cheap and I don't want to have to pay for dinner and a movie and a babysitter. And part of that is we're just not that cool and didn't have that many friends and so we didn't go out that much. Uh, but there was one time, this was maybe 10 years ago, uh, that we did hire a sitter, and that is a night that will live in infamy uh, in our house for the rest of our lives. So uh, we were invited to go to a concert with some friends. I was trying to think what it was. I, I, it was either Bill Gaither or Need to Breathe. I can't remember. <laughs> also a pastor joke. Uh, but it was a weeknight, and so uh, the grandparents weren't available to watch our kids, and... Uh, we were going to a concert in the city, and it was going to be late, and so we had some friends who had someone they had used before, and they recommended. So uh, she came over, got them set up with f dinner for food, instructions, all that stuff. Food for dinner, not dinner for food. Instructions, all that stuff. Uh, I think we had two at the time. They were maybe two and three years old. They were little, and we went off to the concert. Uh, a weeknight concert is a real stretch for someone like me. I was talking to someone a few weeks ago, and they were like, Something happens about 9 o'clock at night where I really start to come alive. And I was like, I am the total opposite. <laughs> Something happens about 9 o'clock at night, and all I want to do is go to bed. And so, uh, you know how a concert works. There's an opening act, and then they take forever. They switch it out, and then the main act comes on. And we rolled into our house at like midnight on a Tuesday. And I just, all I wanted was to get into bed. It's all I had wanted for the previous three hours. <laughs> And as we came into the house, uh, have, you ever, like, have you ever stepped into a room and you just know right away that something is wrong? That's what we felt. There was a vibe. Like, we could hardly get the door open because there was so much stuff on the floor. And as we came in, I was like, like what has gone on here? And what began to become apparent as we had to like, kick things out of the way just to find places to step is our kids and the babysitter had gone through, I think, every room, cupboard, drawer in our house and had taken out everything. It was like they had had a full-on rager that night. <laughs> if we had come home a few hours earlier, our kids would have been shotgunning apple juice sippy cups. It was... <laughs> it, it was... I, I was walking... I walked into the house and I was like, I didn't even know we had this much... I, I don't know, where did this stuff come from? I don't even know we had this much stuff. And we come around the corner, uh, to the living dining area, and there's the babysitter on the couch watching TV. Dinner is still on the table. Dishes are still on the stove, still in the sink. Uh, they, had, they had decimated our house in the name of a good time, apparently. And then she just plopped down to watch TV. I had many thoughts and feelings running through my person in this moment. And I kept them to myself. We paid her money that she did not deserve. <laughs> and then she went home and presumably went to bed while Beth and I spent the next hour and a half cleaning up our house until 1.30 in the morning. Uh, there were two questions just running through my mind as I was cleaning my own home that evening, picking up things I didn't even know that we owned to begin with, and they were this. Where did all of this come from, and who is responsible for it? Where did all of this come from and who is responsible for it? Now, in that moment, 
with the feelings I was feeling. Uh, I didn't have eyes to see. But those questions that I was asking in that moment are two of the deepest existential questions we can ever ask. And I just wonder if any of you have ever asked those questions or thought them to yourself as you wake up in the morning, as you head out into the world, as you go to work, school, whatever it is that you've been called to, have you ever stopped for a moment and thought, where did all of this come from and who is responsible for it? If you haven't, I invite you to engage with those questions in this very moment. Where did all this come from and who is responsible for it? Now, here's the thing. I am going to do something right now that is going to vastly oversimplify what the options are to answer those questions. But really, I know it's way more nuanced than this. I'm not a scientist. But really, there are only two possible answers, two categories, okay? Two categories of answers for where did this come from, who's responsible for it. One answer is it came from nothing. That just somehow, some way, way back when, there was a tiny something of something and it banged. And then all of a sudden here comes life and things and material. And if you are here this morning and that is your viewpoint on, on the answer to those questions, I just want you to know this is not going to be like a, we at the church are going to bash the Big Bang Theory. You, you're welcome here and we are glad that you are here and we need to be able to engage in these questions. So that's one answer. The other answer is either, so it came from either nothing or it came from something. Or, or someone. Now again, I know those are, those are vastly simplified answers, but those are kind of the two categories that we have. And here's the only thing I want to say about it before we start to head towards the text, and it's this. Very often in our culture, those two answers are um, painted as one is science, one is pretend. One is factual, one is hopes, dreams, supernatural. One is provable, and one is faith. And I just want us, if we are gonna be intellectually honest with each other this morning, we need to acknowledge that actually both of those require faith. It is not, uh, you wanna go to a dark place of the internet, start looking up the Big Bang on, on Google. Like there's some weird stuff out there. And one thing I saw this week was, there was one article that was like, we can say with 100% certainty that the Big Bang is how everything came into existence. And again, I'm not a scientist, I'm just a pastor. But we can't say with 100% certainty, you have to come to that with faith, just like you have to come to faith with, or come to there is someone or something behind all of this. You gotta come to that with faith as well. So that's, that's the only groundwork I wanna lay for this message this morning. Now here uh, is the deal. We have 23 verses in the book of Genesis that we need to cover in the next 20 or 25 minutes. Last week, Randy preached two verses. And he preached four words of those two verses. In the beginning, God. And it was beautiful. And I'm going to one-up him this week. I'm going to preach six words from these 23 verses that we need to cover today. And here's what it's not going to be. This is not going to be a message today that pits uh, evolution versus creation. We're not going to be able to figure out that question in the moments that we have time together today. This is not going to be, we're not going to figure out were these six literal days or are they six figurative days. We are not going to determine this morning whether the earth is 6,000 years old or four and a half billion years old. We are not going to figure out this morning where the dinosaurs came from and where they went and how that all happened. Partly because I know for those of you who are in small groups, you answered all those questions this week, <laughs> right? So we got that covered. Uh, we are going to talk today 
about why this is the way that God chose to open up his word. And here it is. All those things are important. All those things we should be able to engage with. We should understand the debates. We should be able to have an opinion on them, but they are all secondary. Reasonable, faithful followers of Jesus Christ all disagree on the answers to all of those things. They are secondary to the primary meaning of this text that we are looking at this morning, and that is it is teaching us about God. My Bible has 1,043 pages. This is page one. And what we learn about God on page one matters for the rest of the 1,042 pages in the Bible. And not only the rest of that, but for the rest of the days, weeks, months, and years that you and I get to live uh, on this creation that he created. Remember, as we come to this text, the context for what this text was written in. We believe, Randy talked about this last week, that Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. Moses had led the Israelites with God's help, obviously out of Egypt, out of slavery, 400 years in slavery. They are wandering in the God-forsaken wilderness of the Sinai Peninsula. And Moses sets out to tell them who this God is that has just rescued them from slavery. And so this is just kind of a freebie. When Moses talks, when Genesis 1 talks about so much separating, did you catch that when Carly read it? He separated the waters from the waters. We'll get that another time. Uh, he separated the land from the land. Why, why, does, why is it written that way? Because think about who it's being written to. A bunch of Israelites who are just redeemed from slavery in Egypt, and when they got to the Red Sea and they thought all was lost, what happened? You know, it's not a rhetorical question. God separated the waters. And here comes Moses writing the story about how the world was created. And he says, he separated the waters. Because the same God who redeems you out of slavery in Egypt is the same God who is the one true God who created the world and everything in it. And the way he works is, is in patterns. This is not a scientific text that is written to determine or to explain to us exactly and in what way and factually how God created everything that we see around us. It is a poem meant to teach us about the nature and character of the creator God. John Calvin was one of the reformers many hundreds of years ago. His, the great work of his life is called the Institutes of the Christian Religion. And the way that he opens that work is he says, we have two kinds of knowledge. We have knowledge of ourselves and knowledge of God. And he says, the only way we have knowledge of ourselves is when we know God. We have to get to know God in order to get to know ourselves. And so that is what this passage that we are looking at today is about. It's not about dinosaurs or day age or whatever. It is about teaching us who God is. And there are three things I want us to learn about God in the time that we have together this morning. The first is this. I told you I was only preaching six words out of this text. Uh, I've said this before, I think, in messages, and I will say it many more times in many more messages if God allows me to preach them here in this church. When you see something repeated in Scripture, that usually means it's important. When you see something repeated, that usually means that it is important. First thing I want us to learn about God, first thing this teaches us about God is that God said. God said. There are seven paragraphs in the 23 verses that we are looking at today. Every single paragraph starts with, and God said. There are six days of creation that are being covered. Day three gets two paragraphs. Don't need to make anything significant out of that. But every single one of them starts with, and God said. And then what happens after God said? Verse three, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. Verse six, and God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, 
and there was an expanse in the midst of the waters. Verse nine, and God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered into one place and let the dry land appear. And what happened? The waters were gathered into one place and the dry land appeared. Five times in this text, after it says, and God said, it follows it up with the phrase, and it was so. Because why? Because God's words and God's actions are inseparable. What he says happens. What he says he does. Uh, I have a six-year-old. I think he has stepped out. But when something really impresses him, he'll go like this. <laughs> that should blow our minds because we have no category for that. What he says he does. I uh, went to summer camp for the first time, overnight summer camp. I believe it was the summer after sixth grade. And uh, it was in Wisconsin. I was from the suburbs of Cleveland, Ohio. There was a counselor at that camp. I literally remember virtually nothing about that week except the story that I'm about to tell you. Uh, he kind of took an interest in me that week. He wasn't in my cabin, but we kind of got, you know, to know each other a little bit that week. I was just a little sixth grader. He was maybe high school or college. And towards the end of the week, he was like, hey, we do something, I do something really fun here early in the morning sometimes. He's like, I'll get up really early and I will go chipmunk hunting. And I was like, what, what is that? But I was also like, must be what they do in Wisconsin, right? <laughs> and I was like, I don't really care what it is. If you're doing it, it must be cool. And he was like, hey, would you like to come with me? I was like, yes. No other camper in, in camp got invited to go chipmunk hunting with this guy. And he's like, all right, great. I will pick you up. I'll come to your cabin early, six o'clock on Friday morning, and we'll go set some traps, and we'll go chipmunk hunting. I know some of you are like, now are like, what is the punchline to this one? <laughs> and so I set my alarm on my little Casio digital watch for 545. I didn't need to set it because I woke up beforehand because I was so excited. And uh, here comes six o'clock, sun starting to, to rise, everyone in the cabin is quiet, and uh, nothing, 605, nothing, 610, 615, 6.30, at that point I started to, to kind of get the hint like he probably wasn't gonna come. Seven o'clock, everyone else is starting to get up. We get up, we go to breakfast, I see him there. No mention whatsoever of chipmunk hunting or anything like that. Now maybe he was just hazing me. Maybe he was just playing a trick on, you know, that's what they do every week on some unsuspecting camper. I don't think so. I think he just didn't do what he said he was gonna do. And I'm telling you, I can't remember, that whole week is like, I don't remember anything. Except I remember that guy told me he was going to take me chipmunk hunting and he stood me up. Thank you. <laughs> it's fine. I'm fine. Everything is fine. <laughs> Have you ever been there? Maybe not at camp in Wisconsin for chipmunk hunting, but has anyone ever told you they were going to do something and they didn't do it? Has anyone ever overstated something? Have they ever said something to you that they didn't really mean? Has someone ever promised you something and then not followed through on it? There's a, there's, a, there's a term that we like to use, athletes like to use it a lot. Talk is cheap. Why? Because our words and our actions don't match up. Sometimes they do, but usually that's the exception and not the rule. But here's the thing, that is not the way God works. God said really matters because what God says, he does. No ifs, ands, or buts. It was his words that created the universe. And here's the thing. God didn't stop saying on the first page of the Bible. 
God kept saying through Genesis 2, 3, 4, 5, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, all the way through to Revelation, God has been saying things. And that matters for our lives today. Can I just remind you, this is just a, like, just a small selection of some of the things that God has said. Can I just remind you of some of the things that God has said? Isaiah 41.10, fear not for I am with you. Be not dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you, I will help you, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Not a hope, not a maybe, not that would be really nice if he follows through on it. Rock solid, take it to the bank, guarantee. Isaiah 54.10, for the mountains may depart and the hills be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you. My covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. Jeremiah 29.11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Ezekiel 36, 25 through 29, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses. And from your idols, I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God and I will deliver you from all your uncleannesses. Matthew eleven twenty eight. come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Matthew 28, 20, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Revelation 22, 7, and behold, I am coming soon. God said, God said, God said, God said. These are not hopes, maybes, cheap words. They are rock solid promises. God's word and his action are inseparable. We see it in creation and we see it in our lives. It matters for us today. Okay, so that's the first thing. God said. Second thing, things that are repeated, they are important. God called. God said. And then God called. We see it five times, really, in just the first three paragraphs of this text. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. Verse 8, God called the expanse heaven. Verse 10, God called the dry land earth. And the waters that were gathered together, he called seas. What does that mean? God gave those things names. And if you were to read through the rest of the Bible, if you know anything about the biblical narrative, names are very important. God is changing people's names all the time. So a few chapters later, he calls this idol worshiper from the land of Ur called Abram and his wife Sarai. And then he changes their names to Abraham and Sarah. Genesis 32, a few chapters after that, Abraham's grandson Jacob. He says, no longer will you be called Jacob, which means he cheats. And you will be called Israel, which means he strives with God. That's a good trade. <laughs> we get to the New Testament. He calls a fisherman named Simon. He says, you're not going to be called Simon anymore. You're going to be called Peter. He calls a, a terrorist, a religious terrorist named Saul. And he says, you're not going to be called Saul anymore. You're going to be called Paul. What's with the naming? What's with the calling? God names the things that belong to him. And so when we see in Genesis chapter 1 that God called, that he gave these things names, that is saying something that we kind of understand implicitly, but it, it, it makes it explicit in the text, and that is he made it, and so it's all his. And so he gets to be the one who names it. When he calls things to himself, when he has power, dominion, when he has ownership over something, he takes the liberty of naming that thing. And we know how this works. I have four children, and do you know who got to name them? That's right. Come on. We both did. It was a team effort. Margaret, Howard, Rose, and George. 
it sounds like we should live in Downton Abbey. And then you find out their dad is Gary from Cleveland, and you're like, nope, that's not, that's, that's not it. Why did we get to name them? Because they're ours. Now, I know they're God's. He gave them to us. And we got to name them because they are ours. We called them something because they are ours. What are you called? Now, I mean a little bit like what's your name, partly, but we were all called things more than our names. We've all been called things that are not just our names. Some of us have been called really great things. Some of us have been called beautiful. Some of us have been called smart, successful, star athlete, vice president, president, CEO. Some of us have been called handsome, successful. Did I say that one already? Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> but here's the deal. It's not just good things that we're called. If, if we turned on this mic and, and said, hey, you know, if you were willing, come on up and share some of the things you've been called, there wouldn't be a dry eye in the room. My kids in middle school have been called stuff that I couldn't repeat here in church. We've all been called stuff that hurts. Loser. Disappointment. Ugly. Unsuccessful. I got a bunch of other nasty things running around in my head right now that I just don't feel like saying out loud. But that's not all that you have been called. You know what it says in Isaiah 43? Isaiah 43, 1. But now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. The same God who created the sun and the moon and the stars and the light and the dark and called them day and called them night, he has called you as well. And, and I didn't say this in the first service, but I should have. Let's just take it one step further. He hasn't just called you by your name. He has given you a new name. You are a child of God. And so all those other things that you have been called, they have no power over you because they don't have dominion over you. They don't own you. You are God's. And he is the one who determines your name. He has called you by name and you are his. God said, God called. And then the last thing I want us to see in this text, the last thing we learn about God, well, we learn a lot more about God than three things, but the three that we're looking at today. God saw six times it shows up in this text at the end of every day or towards the end of every day. God creates, tells what he created, he names it, and then it says, and God saw. God saw what? God saw that it was good. He is the God who sees. Now look, everything in me right now wants to run to what will be next week's sermon, which is he creates man and woman, and you know what he says there. He says all the way through in our text, he says it's good, it's good, it's good, and then he creates man and woman, and he says it's very good. But that's another sermon for another day. So I just want to camp out here in this idea of he is a God who sees. Uh, remember, this is being given to the Israelites who are wandering in the desert. They've been uh, liberated from slavery in Egypt, and they are now wandering in the like I said earlier, the God-forsaken wilderness of the Middle East where there is no food, there is no water, there is nothing green anywhere in sight or any hope of it. And as we all know, those, or as some of us know who know this story, they get to a place where they're like, actually, we'd rather be slaves in Egypt than be doing this. 
And what is Moses saying to them even on the first pages of the book that he has written? God sees you. God made you and he sees you. And that would have meant something to a bunch of folks wandering in the desert who thought that they were all alone, left out there to die. He is the God who sees. And what he sees is that what he has done is good. I know uh, we have a lot of creative people here at Midtown. I know we've got a lot of musicians and a lot of artists. And even if you don't consider yourself a creative person, virtually all of us are involved in creating things. I don't consider myself a creative person, but I've got to write sermons from time to time, and that's an act of creating. And I just wonder, for those of you who are creative and are creators, when you finish creating something and you stop and you see it, what do you see? When I finish most of my sermons, I'm like, that is not good. That was last night. And for all of you who agree right now, just keep it to yourselves. (laughs) He is the God who sees what he creates and he sees that it is good. And all through scripture, we see that he is a God of seeing. Just a few chapters after this, uh, Abraham, uh, it's, we don't have time to get into the story, but Sarah's handmaiden, Hagar, has a child with Abraham, and they send them away, and she's out in the wilderness, and she thinks she's going to die, and God visits her there and provides for her. And she says, you are the God of seeing, because you saw me in my distress. Second Chronicles 16.9 says, the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose hearts are blameless towards him. He is the God who sees. When Jesus walks on the water, it's after the sermon, I think it's after the sermon, he's teaching, it might be the sermon on the, he's teaching, it's not the sermon on the mount, but he sends the disciples out in the boat and it says he went up on the mountain to pray and it says in the middle of the night he saw them. Now maybe that's because he could see out on the lake, but maybe not, maybe it's because he's the God whose eyes run to and fro throughout the whole earth. When Jesus walked this earth, the New Testament tells us that he saw the, the crowds and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. God is the God who sees. And someone needs to hear that today. I, I like, sees that it is good is awesome. And we'll, we'll get to that as we continue to go through Genesis. But he is the God who sees. Wherever your wilderness is today, however distant you might feel like God is, you can take heart from the fact that in Genesis 1, it teaches us that he is a God who sees. And he sees you and he sees what you're going through right now. Now, he saw that it was good. And as we get ready to come to the communion table, uh, can I just finish up with this? It didn't stay good, right? Like we got one more chapter of good and then it becomes not good because for reasons, again, we may never know this side of eternity. We may never know any eternity. Sin entered into God's good creation and it marred it. But remember, he's a God who sees. And so if we were able to jump ahead 21 chapters to Genesis 22, We get a story in Genesis 22 that I think is one of the most tender stories in all of scripture. It is the story of Abraham and his sacrifice of Isaac. Uh, When I, I still, when when I read it to my kids out of the Jesus Storybook Bible, I still have a hard time getting through it. Uh, God called Abraham, said, I'm gonna gonna bless the world through your offspring. And then Abraham never had a kid with him and Sarah, and they weren't able to have a child. And in their old age, God fulfills his promise, and they give, he gives him a child that he had longed for, and he loves this child. His name is Isaac. And then a few years later, God comes along, and he says, I want you to s- sacrifice Isaac to prove your love for me. And so he says to Abraham, I want you to go to the land of Moriah and climb the mountain there, and I want you to sacrifice Isaac on that mountain. And so Abraham, because he loves God, obeys in faith, 
And I like, I just imagine getting inside of his head, like, what kind of God are you that you would give me this child and then call me to do this horrific thing? They get to Moriah, he puts the wood on Isaac's back and they climb up that hill and he binds his son and puts him on the altar. And at the last minute, God stops him and says, Abraham, don't kill your son. You've shown me that you love me. And there in the thicket, in a bush, you remember what he sees? He sees a ram. And Abraham takes that ram and he offers that ram in Isaac's place on the altar as a substitutionary atonement for Isaac. And then Abraham says something very interesting. In the ESV, he says, he says this, he, calls, he gives that place a name. He says, this is the place where the Lord will provide. But what's interesting is the Hebrew word that is translated provide in the ESV is the exact same Hebrew word that's translated saw all through Genesis chapter one. What it really means, and there's a footnote actually in the ESV and many other translations, the, 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 the place where God will provide is kind of a questionable translation. Literally what it says is this is the place where God will see. And that begs the question, the place where God will see what? Well, we keep going through scripture. Second Chronicles chapter three, verse one tells us that when Solomon built the temple in Jerusalem, where did he build it? On Mount Moriah. So Jerusalem was situated on Mount Moriah, the same place that God had called Abraham to come and sacrifice Isaac. And what we know is that about 2,000 years after Abraham and Isaac, there was another only son, another beloved son, another son who was loved by his father, who also put wood on his back and climbed the same hill. But when he got to the top, there was no ram waiting to die in his place. Why? Because he was the ram. He was the lamb, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And just like that ram died in Isaac's place, Jesus Christ died in your place and in mine, in the place that what? God will see it. And what did God see in that place on that hill called Calvary? He saw that it was good. He saw that it was very good because from the, the, the day, whether it's literal or figurative, from the day that God began to create the world, he knew that his son Jesus would die for the sins of the world. He saw it and he saw that it was very good. So as we come to the table this morning, may the truth of that, that we have been reconciled to God, though sin has destroyed what he intended, we have access now to God the Father in perfection because Jesus Christ on Calvary paid the penalty for our sins and shed his blood that we wouldn't have to. He is the God who says, he is the God who calls, and he is the God who sees, and he sees that it is very good. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you that you are the one true God. We thank you that you have revealed yourself to us and that you have called us to yourself, and we thank you, God, that your creation was good, that sin really messed it up, but that you did not leave it in that state, but that you did for us what we could not do for ourselves through your son, your only son, the son that you love, Jesus Christ, and his death on the cross. May the truth of that wash over us now as we come to your table. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.